Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. When two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Hello, all you former athletes. I'm Don Sutton. Alongside is Brooke Beerhouse, and this is When Your Sport Ends. Here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? This week, we are discussing a topic that is difficult to talk about and may trigger some listeners. If you are battling with depression or suicidal thoughts, please contact the suicide hotline number. That's 1-800-273-8255. This episode may have a possible trigger warning. The number again is 1-800-273-8255. Good morning, Brooke. Good morning. How are you? Good with some coffee, you know. We're able to go and get a, a good Onyx coffee. Yes. Today, downtown Rogers. So that's that's been nice. Before Number one get... coffee in the world, right? <laughs> National top roaster. They're the top uh, top roaster. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're fine. Uh, when you said number one coffee, I was world. like, you can't say that. But yeah, they're the national coffee roaster champions here in little bumfuck nowhere, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Northwest Arkansas is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need a little bit of caffeine before this, and it's one of those things that always makes me happy. So definitely, you know, with a lot of people in sort of a the self isolated, uh, it, it can be hard with your mental internal dialogue and like finding moments that make you happy. So coffee is, is coffee, one of them. even They're, gardening. Gardening. This morning I was deweeding those uh, sunflower seeds that I just ripped tailored along the back. Well, we rip tailored. Yeah. yeah. 15 are growing. They look awesome. Yeah. That'll be exciting. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Looking you weeded for... it? Yeah, I de-weeded it. Because then they, cause they like fight over nutrients and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I had to space it out, you know. I'm a farmer. <laughs> you are. Quarantine's yeah. got me going crazy. Yeah, blueberry... <laughs> Uh, bushes, everything. Yeah, blueberry plants. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's helped, you know, cope with the, the lack there of foreseeable future of just everything going on. It's, uh, yeah, it's right? crazy. Well, when we were talking about uncertainty um, in this time, because really no one knows what's going to be happening next and I think being Mm -hmm. uncertain about the future is one of the hardest parts and especially with someone who I have a lot of anxiety and you know battle with that Mm -hmm. I have noticed myself you know trying to stay calm and and work on the mental um, battle pretty much every single day of okay what am I doing next in my job but not worrying about it but also Mm -hmm. staying productive and we had discussed this at length multiple times, um, but we've never recorded it, talking about mental health and how important it is 
during your sport as an athlete with athletic identity, but then also after your sport when it ends and Mm -hmm. that internal dialogue can sometimes be really detrimental to your growth coming out of that and how you deal with um, your sport ending and the next stages of life. And so we have a great interview coming up, but first we wanted to talk a little bit about that in our own ways. Yeah. I mean, mental health is a pretty big one, especially, I would say probably for you, um, the younger groups, see, especially, I mean, young men I know personally, like, you don't want to be bitched out, right? Yeah, you don't there's a sort of a stigma. Wu- you don't want to wuss out. And sometimes that hits your health physically and mentally Mm -hmm. i know uh the guest coming up he talks about that being toughing it out through being a tough guy yeah being a tough guy or tough girl but Mm -hmm. i mean it's happened to me you know you don't want to uh you want to be hitting the numbers and everything else especially when you're on the lower end of the totem pole with the team or even when you're top tier Mm -hmm. it's you got to make it you got to push through whether you're trying to be professional or not. And I think a lot of us get caught up in that. And then, you know, what happens? You get injured and then everything that you thought you were going to do is finite. Yeah, and I think knowing that talking about problems or struggles that you're having or especially if you're having suicidal thoughts or it's getting to a point where you really need to be talking to someone or seeking help, Um, seeking out help it is not a weakness and it's I think it shows a lot more strength to reach out and have the courage to talk to people about what's going on because I know for me it took me about a year of struggling by myself internally in college Um, and I had a one part after college where I was pretty it was a pretty low time and I wouldn't say because it's not clinical depression, but mm-hmm. it was a, a span of about two months where it was just impossible to to really see that tomorrow would be better. You know, yeah. it, I needed to talk to someone. And so luckily I had um, my mom that I could talk to, which was a another thing where you don't want to feel like you're letting someone down because of not being able to, quote unquote, deal with it or tough yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that. That's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially I'm sure our listeners have struggled with that. And I know friend groups, everyone has, everyone that's left their sport has had to go through a bout of either depression or anxiety or... You think? Yeah. I I bet it's larger than you would think for sure. I mean, I think uh, there was an Olympian who actually had a book about transitioning from being an elite athlete to a career. I can't remember the book name. Okay. But yeah, it's uh, it's getting more and more talked about though. And I mean, you realize, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize it feels good to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when I was in college, they had offered me a, psycho- a sports psychologist, like uh, I think just coping with everything. And I was like, what I don't need a quack. <laughs> like, what, what do you think of me? Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? And instead, I just kind of 
I think I uh, separated myself even from my team and even from uh, just the whole education department who, well, the whole athletic department who's just trying to help and kind of siloed off, made my mission to just finish and get out of there and then move on. And I thought that that was my coping. And looking back on it, I don't think that that was necessarily the best, mm. you know. Uh, I don't know if a sports psychologist would have helped, but it's like, yeah. you know, now being open and talking about it, I think it, it definitely feels good to talk about it. Mm. Should have probably had that, but, you know, my coach, he told me that I'd probably mature around age 26, so <laughs> it was a little late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it too, so when we talk with Daryl Stinson, our guest today, Mm-hmm. He does mention athletic identity, and I want to precursor this because we didn't get a chance to ask him, um, but we did get to talk a little bit after. Mm-hmm. Athletic identity is a part of you no matter how high you achieve. So if you were a high school athlete whose identity is was closely tied to being a football player, a baseball player, mm-hmm. a swimmer, it doesn't matter if you went to, if you were a Big Ten champion in college or you won nationals, you went to the Olympics, however much your identity is tied to being an athlete, it is always going to be a struggle to get over that. So when he talks about athletic identity, I don't want you to think that your story and your struggle is diminished by not achieving to a, as high of a level as a lot of others achieved. So I just want to put that out for listeners beforehand because I think it's important to remember that every story is valid. Agreed. And I think our speaker this week would agree as well. His name, Daryl Stinson. Daryl was a former defensive end at Central Michigan, the founder of Second Chance Athletes. He's also a pastor, a TEDx speaker, father, husband, and rapper. He shares his life experiences overcoming addiction, childhood rejection, mental illness, depression, and multiple suicide attempts. Daryl's conversation with us is very open and honest. We think you'll get a lot out of this one. Really, if you wouldn't mind telling us to begin why mental health is an important topic for you personally, and then how you found yourself becoming an advocate for mental health. Uh, My... Uh, passion to help others in mental health came when I uh, survived suicide. Anytime you go through something traumatic in life and you overcome it, it makes you more sensitive to people who are going through it. And so I heard about mental health before. I heard about depression before, but it was never really the hill that I would die on. It was never really the, the, the battle I would fight until I, it almost, it almost took my life. And then I became very passionate about it because I never wanted anybody to experience the hopelessness, the loneliness that I felt. Yeah. Now, how I got there is simple. Uh, the end of my sports career. (laughs) Um, Simple. Uh, There's a lot to that. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but there's always, there's always an underlying pain. Uh, Mm -hmm. So for me, the end of my sports career was so traumatic because it was my identity. Yeah. It was my God. It was the very thing that was going to 
make me rich and famous. Um, if you watch my TEDx talk, Overcoming Rejection When People Hurt You and Life Isn't Fair, I talk about how sports became the vehicle that allowed me the freedom to be myself. Because mm. prior to me becoming an elite athlete, I had to choose between white friends and black friends. Um, and when I became an elite athlete, I no longer had to choose between two different crowds of friends because they didn't care if I talked white or or if I hung out at the basement party that the African-Americans were throwing or if I went to the bonfire that my white friends were throwing. They didn't care. All they cared is how many points I scored and, uh, you know, did we win the game? And so um, sports was my everything. And unfortunately, uh, I had a uh, co- career, supposed to be career ending injury at the end of my freshman year. That should have just ended my career. Uh, I was trying to impress some seniors and with how much, how strong I was and how much I could squat. And I pinched a nerve in my back. And since, like many other athletes, uh, I was a tough guy or, you know, other athletes, just tough, tough people. Uh, I didn't know the difference between being hurt and being injured. Yeah. There is a difference between being hurt and being injured. I was injured, but I kept telling myself I was hurt. And I basically, and because I was athletic and, and um, a high performer and elite, I could outperform people with an injury. So, you know, if I'm first in sprints and I'm still kicking butt and weights and I'm still kicking butt on the field, nobody's thinking like this guy has serious problems. They just think I'm hurt until finally the pain just got unbearable. I couldn't sleep. My left leg started to have atrophy. Um, I literally, my right leg was complete muscle. My left leg was jello. I went in, I got an MRI. The doctor looked at my MRI results and said, look, I'm booked for three to six months on my surgery calendar, but you need to have emergency surgery. You're going to be paralyzed. Wow. He came in on a Sunday, Dr. Shell out of Saginaw, and he did my surgery. And he said, look, you got a golden opportunity. You have a full ride scholarship to college. You can play excuse me, you can focus on your education and come around football whenever you want. Hmm. I'm a freshman. I've got four years of paid education. But for me, sports was not what I did. It was who I was. So I signed a liability waiver to be able to uh, get on the field without the university being liable for my injuries. Wow. Um, I actually didn't know they did that. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble. So yeah, it, it, it made them not and I don't get me wrong, they told me no like 40 times, but I begged and I pleaded. Mm-hmm. I said, just give me a chance. I can play, please. And I wore them down. And um, you know, uh, this is the part that probably could get them in trouble. But look, y'all, I'm not suing, I'm not pressing charges. Please don't, don't nobody <laughs> try to go get them in trouble. I love my alma mater. I'm thankful for the opportunity. But they wanted to prove me wrong. They had a guy who had a similar surgery and um, he tried to like come back and he was, it was like impossible. He's in too much pain. So they were like, you know what? He's bugging us. We love him. Give him a shot. So instead of me going through three months of like no contact and then doing contact drills or, and then doing like high intensity drills, they were just like, they threw me in the toughest drill for a defensive lineman, which is inside drill. So to make, to make this the next phase of the story very short, um, I essentially, um, started to uh, develop an opioid addiction in order to numb my pain to continue to play the game. And this went on for two years. I had to pay for my medical expenses out of pocket. And I don't know if you, have you guys ever seen a medical bill? Oh yeah. 
That is not <laughs> cheap. <laughs> and so uh since i was paying for it uh out of pocket um i started to sell drugs all throughout the state of michigan um and actually got involved in an international drug operation so i can uh, pay for my medical expenses um mainly just selling adderall opioids and uh marijuana but uh got into some other substances as well um not proud of it at all uh and in my mind i, I never was proud of it it was just always a means to an end. It was the, it was, I was going to pay uh, for my medical bills to numb the pain for long enough till I got to the league and I didn't need the money anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so for two years, my life was out of control. I was selling drugs, going to practices, uh, going to classes, selling drugs, going to film sessions, selling drugs, going to study table and dinner, selling drugs. And it was just like this for two straight years while my addiction to opioids are increasing because I'm getting used to the dosage and I just keep increasing it and I'm manipulating the healthcare system. So I say this to any of the current athletes out there that are dabbling around with any type of drugs, whether it's performance enhancers or it's just marijuana, like, or, or, or whatever, be careful. Because one thing always leads to the next thing. Mm. Marijuana might be legal in some states, uh, but it is very much a gateway drug. Um, which means you try marijuana, you want something heavier. Opioids, be careful. It mm-hmm. might, it might, it might feel good to not have to feel the the pain from leg day. <laughs> but that's the beginning of an opioid addiction. And as a person who helps um, addicts right now recover from addiction, let me tell you something. That's not a life you want to live. Addiction will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. So the best time to kill cancer is when you first find it. The best time to start stop addiction is right now. Going into my senior year, coaches saw that I was having frequent nosebleeds at every practice and, and games. Plus, I had started to develop a permanent hunch in my back. And even though I was still performing and starting and making some contributions, they were like, we can't watch you do this to yourself. Even it's at this point, it's negligent on our behalf. Um, so you sign a liability waiver, but it's obvious that you are are going through a lot of pain. So they kicked me off the team. And just like many athletes in the middle of this COVID pandemic that we're all facing, whose careers have gotten ended abruptly without warning, no senior send-off game, no, no, no mental preparation for this being their last game. That's what happened to me. Literally kicked right off the team. And so I had to face this depression. I had to face that um, I didn't have a quote unquote plan B, that um, I didn't have an identity outside of sports. I didn't feel like I was valuable without the game that I played. I needed people to cheer for me and I asked for my autograph and slap me high five and ask me how I'm doing and ask me how many points I'm scoring because without sports, I didn't feel like I was valuable. So um, I got suicidal. I went from 275 pounds to 219 pounds trying to starve myself to death. I started mixing my opioids with alcohol. Um, writing suicide letters, hoping that I would never wake up again. I would get in the car after drinking a whole fifth of alcohol, hoping that a car accident would end it all. And all these attempts at suicide, thankfully, hear what I'm saying? Thankfully, landed me in a psychiatric unit. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. Thankfully, landed me in a psychiatric unit. Because if it was not for being there, I probably wouldn't be here. And thankfully, I had a life-changing encounter there at the psychiatric unit that gave me hope and faith and helped me to believe that my life mattered beyond sports. And I started this journey of trying to figure out what my purpose was 
outside of sports. Now, let me say something that's very important to all of my athletes and current athletes and former athletes and all that stuff. I, it wasn't that I didn't think that I could be successful at something else. It was that I didn't think that anything would fulfill me like sports once did. And now a word from our sponsors. Self-isolation driving you crazy? It is for me. One thing I've been doing to keep myself occupied is hopping on to betonline.ag. I'm a big fan of online poker and I've been keeping myself very busy playing with all the games they have. You can bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, even the spelling bee. And if you log on and create an account now and use promo code MYPOD100, you'll be able to get a sign-up bonus. That's promo code MYPOD100 at betonline.ag. One of the reasons why people are so afraid of public speaking and why I was so afraid of public speaking, I was terrified. Let me tell you how terrified I was because people hear me now and they're like, yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. You know when you do icebreakers and you go, go around, say your name and your what school you're from and your favorite spirit animal. Like, yeah, your you know, spirit like, animal. Whatever, you know, <laughs> like, like yep. one thing you wish you could do. What's your dream vacation spot? You know that, you know what I would do? No. I would leave the room until it was over. Hmm. I'm talking about deep rooted insecurity. I hated how I sound because when I was a kid, I got made fun of for talking proper. You think that drove your uh, decision to move towards football and make it more of your life? Absolutely. So, yeah, that's interesting. Because I could be, I felt I didn't have to, and a lot of people do that. A lot of a lot of people use sport as mm-hmm. a, 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 a safe place, an escape, you mm-hmm. know, but, but you don't, it don't have to be sport. Here's what, listen, for former athletes, y'all, this is, this is my heart, okay, with second chance athletes. We have a five-step signature framework that we coach our athletes through. It's the very framework that helped me go from suicide to success. Okay. Now I'm going to walk you through the five phases real quick. Okay. Here's the five phases of every, that every athlete goes through after sports, especially if you have high athletic identity. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the higher your athletic identity is the, the more um, uh, intense and, and traumatic this experience will be. But we all go through these phases. Number one, it's acceptance. This is where I wrestle with the fact that I really want to still play at an at a high competition level, but I realize I ain't got it like that no more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so so the goal of the acceptance phase is to get me to the point where I can accept that it's over. Okay. The second phase is belief. Okay. Now that I know that I'm, I can't go back and play, do I really believe that my future can be brighter than my past? Number three. Um, so we got acceptance. We got believe. Number three, everybody's favorite, discover. Hmm. What's my next move? What's my dream career? What's my passion outside of sports? I like the word purpose because I think it's a deeper place than passion. Yeah. Passion is still what I do. Purpose is why I do it. So we got accept, believe, discover, and then we have pursue pursue Hmm. how do i go after it you know what made you successful as an athlete that you had systems and structure in your life that supported your success and for the most part somebody did it for you now you always had great work ethic but the systems and structure is what multiplied your work ethic how do you implement that in your life after sports 
And then the fifth step is persistence. How do you put together a plan that helps you to keep going when the going gets tough? Some of this is mental health tips because, hey, I, I tell you, whether you got mental illness or not, life is hard. Yeah. And you so, got to know how to deal with it. So, Talk so, to yourself. So, yeah. So, so everything is, again, based on custom tailored strategies for you. It's a framework. But as you go through the framework, you find what works for you. Now, here's what a lot of people in the transition industry do. And I respect them. I want them. Some of them are our partners. So I'm not down talking it. Uh, they, they, they say they're helping you transition, but here's what they do. They teach you how to take the skills that made you be successful as an athlete and apply those skills to your life after sports. And they call it transition coaching. There's never a detachment of the identity from the role of a sport. They just say, hey, if you focus on this new thing long enough, you'll forget about the old thing. Let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, it's a Band-Aid. So, so acceptance, th this is our like, the unique selling proposition. How do you get over the fans who said that they supported you but never called you after you were an athlete anymore? One thing I really want everybody to get is athletic identity is so under-talked about. That matters. Remember what I told you before I described the process, that the higher your athletic identity is, the more uh, traumatic, intensifying, difficult this process is. Okay? Uh, the good news is that with the process, it streamlines it. Okay? Now, uh, so it's hard to say averages because you cannot compare a high athletic identity athlete to a low athletic identity athlete. It's just not fair. The quickest way to get over your past pain is to have current success in the area where you were hurt the most. Let me give you an example. Uh, Daryl Stinson hated how I sounded. Knew, I, knew after I survived suicide that part of my purpose was to share my story, was to be a mental health advocate, was to help other people struggling with depression. But it was too painful to talk about. I didn't want people to think less of me because I was suicidal. I, I, I didn't want to have to deal with that pain. I could not get over my past. I was stuck. Let me tell you when that changed for me. It, it, it was a slow process, but there was one catalytic moment. It was when I shared my story and after I shared my story and it was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Like it wasn't, I didn't have as much to say as I have now. Like there wasn't as many things to write down. It was just pretty much me talking and people trying not to fall asleep and, you know, and, and a couple of people crying because they, they heard me say that I tried to take my life and that was like, that, that made them sad. So that I'm, and I'm being honest about that. I have video footage to prove how bad I was. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this 14 year old girl, walks up to me after the presentation and she says, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, what's going on? She pulls up her wristband and I can see the cuts on her wrist. Ugh. She said, last year, my parents dropped me off at an orphanage and they never came back. And I've been cutting myself since then because I can't figure out what was so wrong with me that they didn't want me. But hearing your story today and knowing that you are an athlete and you struggle with depression gave me the freedom to be vulnerable and transparent about my struggle. 
and you're the first person I ever told. Oh. Yeah. That was worth facing the pain of my past. The pull of the impact on that young girl's life was greater than the pull of my insecurity in speaking or my fear of rejection. One of the things that I, I, when I have time to develop or our team does it, I'm going to develop a whole like guide to help athletes maximize their athletic experience. For those of you who are current athletes, I'll give you one big tip right now. One big tip, one big tip. Okay. You need to write, you know how you have those scrapbooks of all your medals and all yeah. your <laughs> articles. You need to create a networking scrapbook. Hmm. Watch this. Every person that is connected to you while you're an athlete, get their contact information. Not just your coaches and your other teammates and, and your administrators. I'm talking about the fans that ask you for autographs. I'm talking about the people who interview you. Go back to those newspaper clippings and the person who wrote the story on you, contact them. And you know mm -hmm. what you say? Thank you. Thank you for supporting me during sports. Uh, thank you for highlighting my athletic accomplishment. Hey, I have a bigger goal. <laughs> this is so good. I wish I would have known yeah. because we waste right? all this we waste it all. Waste all this attention that's on us. What if after interviews we started setting ourselves up for success after sports? And I'm not saying don't answer people's questions. Don't be weird. <laughs> hey, <laughs> what do you think about your teammates today and how you were down five points? Uh, well, you know, I'm actually trying to build my business. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying when the opportunity presents itself, I'm just saying that even when you when you are done and retired from sport, whether forced or just because you were ready, you can reach out to those contacts and say, hey, thank you for your support when I, during my athletic career. It meant the world to me. I would love your support in my new initiative. That's good. I, I like that. I, listen, yeah. let me tell you how powerful yeah, it is. Awesome. The person that wrote the feature article about me when I was ranked number three in Michigan um, for Mr. Basketball. So Draymond mm -hmm. Green was number one. I was number three. And the person who wrote that article about me is now currently editing my book. Awesome. How wow. awesome is that? That's what I'm saying. You just never know. Yeah. So too many times former athletes are networking from scratch. When there's a whole bunch of people who, who just like you because they adore you and admire you, and you can leverage that influence. All right. No, I, this topic is like, this is such good information. I just uh, can't stop smiling because I've been thinking in my head the whole time you mentioned about the um, interviews portion. This is, it's on topic, but it's a little silly. I, uh, I just kept thinking about the one time, this is the worst interview I've ever given, and it helped me realize I need to get better at being an, an interviewee um, was my sophomore year in high school. Mm -hmm. And they asked me how I like what I did and changed to it was a school record at conference. Mm -hmm. And I said, I've been eating a lot of steak and potatoes to get my iron up. And so the headline was beer house eats steak and potatoes <laughs> to break records. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. 
<laughs> so like, I wish I still had that frame somewhere because I swear, I got so much shit for that at school too. I'm like, hey, you want some steak and potatoes? I wonder how many people are going to Google that right now. Just to- <laughs> yeah. Beer health wins. Um, steak and potatoes. Yeah. Go. But no, that's such great insight. I wish I need to, I'm kind of making a mental note of the yeah. people that, Mm-hmm. You know, we're supporting you throughout that time. And honestly, if they're supporting you, then they're going to be so excited about your success in your other endeavors. They You're are. right. They are. Yeah. They are, man. One of my first donors was a fourth grade teacher named Mrs. Battle. And, and and the teachers are some of the best ones because they care, for the most part, more about your, you know, academic performance than your performance on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which, you know, I don't know. If, I think you should care about both. Like, uh, you know, like, anyways. But. But the good thing about that is, in her mind, I was always going to do greater things than sports. So when I started to do them, she was like, I'm in. Wrote me a $100 check. <laughs> now, when wow. I started, that meant a lot. <laughs> you know, like now, it's, yeah. you know, every bit matters. But, but when I was starting and I didn't have money to, to do my logo, thank you for your 100 bucks, Mrs. Battle. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. definitely. That's a, that's a great way to look at life just in general, too, even if you're not. Mm-hmm. Even if you're past that athletic stage and yeah. you did find that purpose, you can yeah. start putting together that network. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Usually I ask at the end what you would tell yourself, but your whole thing was about what you would tell yourself. <laughs> it's uh, great. So, I mean, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about what kind of hobbies you got right now. Outside yeah. of that, you know? <laughs> My hobby, I enjoy making music. Uh, okay. I actually have two songs out. One I recorded um, for elementary school kids uh, nice. to help with depression and suicide prevention. And I recorded okay. it with my five-year-old daughter at the time. She's now six. It's called We All Need Hope. And it's completely free. You can find it on YouTube, SoundCloud. Can you give um, us a verse? Uh, a verse from We All Need Hope? Okay. Um, yeah. I say, hold on to your faith. Don't let nobody take it. And if they talk about your clothes, don't even let it phase you. And if they talk about your looks, don't even pay attention. Hey, look, you ain't got to listen. They entitled to their own opinion. Here's what I discovered. It's the people who talk bad about everybody else do it to feel better about themselves, haters. So just be you and don't you worry about a thing. The storm's going to come, but dance in the rain. Keep your head up because life will try to push you down. Every smile is just a frown turned upside down. So count your blessings. you got the power to turn every loss into a lesson. So quit stressing because bad days don't mean that you got a bad life. And sad days don't mean that you got a sad life. Bad days don't mean that you got a bad life because you still got hope. And then my daughter goes, you know, you know, we all need hope. This is for the kids who uh, don't know. All they got to do is hold on. You know, we all need hope. This is for the kids that don't know. All they got to do is hold on. And so that's how the song goes. Awesome. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I got chills thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to look it up now. We're going to link that too. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of links. A lot of links. It's going to be good though. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, it's like, it's elementary. That was my primary audience, but it like, I've had like right. professionals, business owners that say, man, thank yeah. you because this is such a positive vibe. And then the it's other poem, um that's out yeah. called Defy the Statistics. And mm-hmm. this one I created for a group of uh, recovering addicts that uh, I speak into every week. And it was just like, I was looking at their lives and a lot of them, um, like if you look at the statistics of people who relapse if, um, after going, like the people who actually make it to long-term recovery and you look at statistics mm-hmm. of people who have been incarcerated before or people who struggle with mental illness or people who mm-hmm. struggle in poverty, like according to the stats, it doesn't look good. But I just believe that we can defy the statistics. And so, um, and then, and, and I'm personally 
so it's kind of cool. So I encourage them, but I share like my own personal story. Um, and I, and, and the other cool thing about that song is I did it with a mentee of mine who, and this is just a real cool story because he, mm-hmm. <laughs> listen to this, this, this will be my last story. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's funny. Watch this. So, um, you know how competitive we are. Don't judge me. So now I'm, <laughs> no I'm kind of washed up now. Uh, but, uh, I still, you know, I played at a high level. So my washed mm-hmm. up is still better than people's like, you know, not washed up. So there's yeah. just high school kid, he's like 15 years old. He's probably like six, two, I'm six, five. And I'm, I'm just running, trying to get back in shape, honestly. And this kid is talking junk to me. I'm like he's so so I'm running through my neighborhood and he's just like hey mister you, you ain't trying to play you ain't trying to check up and I'm like man I'm not about to play this little kid like he don't know that I played in college like I'm about to you know you know so I was like all right but I told myself <laughs> that if I on my way back if he was still there talking junk I was gonna <laughs> play him and I was gonna dunk on him and feel great about oh my myself. Gosh. You know, I come back and sure enough he's there hey yeah oh you, tra- you come back to play you come back to play so I was like check up check up man so uh-huh. we played to like three and, you know, the last, you know, I blocked a shot. I crossed them a couple of times. And then so I'm like, so I gave the phone. I have the video recording of this. I gave the phone to, I didn't know it was his brother at the time. I thought it was his friend. It was his brother. Gave the phone to his brother. I said, hey, watch this, record it. <laughs> so he's, he's checking me out. So I juke him, you know, and run and I dunk on him. So I go back to my house and I just feel like I, I feel so great about myself. I have no shame. I'm just happy I, I dunked on this 15 year old kid. <laughs> he comes to my door and he says, Hey man, um, can we play again sometime? And I saw it in his eyes. Oh, he's, he's got nobody in his life like that. Yeah. Come yeah. to find out, this guy lost his mom to suicide a few years earlier. He stays with his dad, who's just, a, to be honest, a low life, not not yeah. supporting him, um, doesn't care about him, you know, just keeping him because mom passed away. Yeah. And um, he's actually, at this current point, kicked him out of the house now that he turned 16. Um, the kid wants so bad to play, to be a professional basketball player because his mom played basketball and he just wow. make her proud but he has a bunch of uh attitude problems and hurt and pain and so he's got kicked out of school he's in an alternative school so the, st- the statistics of this guy succeeding is just low yeah you know what's cool he sings the chorus to the song what That's really good. yeah it's so cool and he and honestly I, I like my verse but his his course is the best like he's got he's got real good talent like he's probably gonna wow. be like in real life music so you know he sings like do they i, I can't sing i'm not gonna sing it you have to listen <laughs> to this yeah and then i share my story and i'll share a piece of that verse and then we can close i said they labeled me a statistic i think they missed it i was selling drugs just to make a living I was dealt a bad hand, but I still ripped it. I turned a couple of ounces into a whole business. You couldn't tell your boy nothing. I was so driven. I was trying to make it to the league, headed straight to prison. Listen, it's crazy what we go through to get what we want while creating a life we don't. It's stupid. And then he comes in and sings the rest. So uh, you can go listen to that. Uh, that one's on all streaming platforms because uh, we own the rights to that music. So just really cool stuff. So that's my hobbies and a little bit of my talents for you. Um, other than that, I just like to read. I still like to play sports when I can. And then hanging out with my family. I got three girls. I'm a girl dad like Kobe. And I got an amazing wife uh, named Brittany. So.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.